our finances and our possessions. Now, now that I've said that, no, you cannot leave. I know we're going to talk about possessions. Sorry, you're here. We're doing it, okay? And so uh, I know nothing says come on in and relax quite like, hey, let's talk about your money, right? So, <laughs> but here's what I would tell you. We talk about this maybe three times a year, but we did a series last year and it really kind of opened my eyes to how Jesus dealt with the issue of possessions and money and resources and generosity. Do you know about 25% of his teaching was devoted to this? He talked about money more than he talked about any single subject. One in three parables had something to do with money or generosity or giving. One in three had something to do with this. And the question that just resonates in my heart is why in the world does the Bible and Jesus spend so much time talking about this? And I think the answer is because he knows our heart. He knows us right? He knows our nature. He knows our weakness toward this issue and the tendency that is in our heart to grab and to take and to hold and to, and to squeeze and to close our hands. He knows that about us. And so he spends all of this time dealing with this because he knows it's an issue in the heart. And here's the other thing he knows and everyone in this room knows, and it's this, the human heart is an idol-making factory. Amen? We make an idol out of everything, but I don't know that anything has been made more of an idol in our culture, and listen, even in the lives of believers, than money. We are an idol-making factory, and um, I don't know that anything is more of an idol than this. Uh, we spend time working for it. We make plans for it. We work hard to, uh, to get more of it. Uh, we, we obsess over it. And so what I want to tell you this morning, the, one, of our, one of our great takeaways and what I hope the Holy Spirit will do in your heart as I'm asking him to do in my heart is this. What we need most this morning is not more of it. I want you to just, now I know you're sitting there going, you sure? I'm pretty sure that's exactly what I need, Bubba, right? <laughs> what you need more this morning is not more of it. That's not the greatest need that you have. And you're sitting there going, I don't know. I'd like a crack at more of it. You know, I got 99 problems, but too much money ain't one of them. And so, <laughs> Carrie and I have talked about, a lot about uh, people who come into sudden wealth, right? They win the lottery or get some, you know, massive inheritance, just come in to sudden wealth and all of the problems that come into their lives as a result of it. And we've looked at each other and go, yeah, I'd like a crack at those problems. That'd be fine. I'll give it a go. I'll try. <laughs> Lord, let me try it. Let me, give, let me have a few swings in the box and see what happens, you know? <laughs> but what I want us to take away this morning is that Jesus understands what we need when it comes to our finances and our resources and our possessions is not more of it, but a kingdom vision for it. Are you with me? What he knows we need is a surrendered, yielded, humble, open-handed, Jesus-centered, gospel-inspired vision for everything that we have. And that's, that's the big thing that I hope. Because this is an issue for us. It's an issue in our culture. Um, I was, we, we talked about this some last year, and I did some research on just uh, uh, our cultural issues with money. Just listen to a few of these numbers. As a, as a nation, we have about $16 trillion in consumer debt. 
Here's what that means. That averages out to every household to be somewhere near $135,000, $140,000 per house. Six grand of that on average is credit card debt, and that's about $1,500 more than any other nation on the planet. Feels good to come in first, right? Feels good to win. We're also first in external debt at $31 trillion, meaning what we owe other nations. And why, why even look at that? Why, why notice that? Because it seems that as a culture, um, we have become slaves to the tyranny of more, bigger, better, and newer. We've become slaves to the tyranny of more and bigger and better and newer. And it seems that we would rather have bigger and better than we would have freedom in our finances. And it's easy to look from from the box that is this room out into the culture and go, yeah, aren't they a mess out there? But that's an issue in the room with us right now. And it's an issue in every heart in the room right now, including mine. It's an issue for us. And there are many believers, too many believers, who would rather be comfortable and successful and secure by the world standards than they would be faithful and obedient by the kingdom standards. Do you feel how quiet and still it is in this room right now? Y'all are one of my loudest services, by the way. Y'all are super. Let's talk back and cheer and keep the preacher going. I already prayed. I know that ain't going to happen today, but that's all right. (laughs) I'm still going to say it (laughs) because in my own heart, there's a tendency to want to be secure and comfortable by the world standards and it lives in your heart too. And for too many of us, we would rather be financially stable according to what the world says than we would financially obedient to what the king of the kingdom says. And so we have to take a step back from the precipice of, of what is drawing us in to just a different kind of bondage. And just go, God, how do I need to see this? What, what do you want to teach me about this? Larry Burkett said this. He said, most Christians are more than content to live out their lives surrounded by the trappings of our world rather than to risk losing them in becoming a radical Christian. One who will put God first in all decisions, even when putting God first is costly. Right? I feel that. I feel that on me. So how do... what? So if we can acknowledge this is an issue, then let's just ask the Holy Spirit, what what do you want to say? I'm open. I'm open to acknowledging I'm not walking perfectly in this. I need help in this. I need a work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need a new vision for this. I need help opening my hands. Uh, I need that. Um, And so let's dive into God's Word. Let's see what He would have for us this morning. Grab your Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're coming in on a moment where Jesus has this enormous crowd around him. He's teaching them. And right in the middle of this time, a guy in the crowd just yells out to Jesus this random issue that he wants Jesus to come and fix. Right in the middle. Let's jump in. Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 13. If you're there, let me hear you say the Bible is true. Amen. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I don't know if this happens at your house, but that's a fan favorite with my kids. Dad, would you tell my brother? Right, that just shows up at my house on repeat. 
Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Men, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is going to teach us what that means here in just a moment. But I just, I want you to sit with that verse. Just sit with it. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, all greed, all close-handedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Boy, there is a, a weight to that. Notice what Jesus says. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Father, we need your help today to, to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, we need your help to keep our hearts open and not closed off. And so help us, Lord, not to push away, but, but to lean in and just be open to what you want to speak. Help us today. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what's interesting here is, as I read, most biblical scholars don't believe this brother is wanting what is his by rights. They think he is wanting more than what actually belonged to him. You see, there were, there were um, uh, rules and laws and traditions that governed how inheritances worked. And what we're seeing here is a brother who was jealous and he is coveting the greater inheritance of his brother. That's what's happening, right? And so he comes to Jesus. He's wanting Jesus to be the arbitrator. He's wanting Jesus to get involved. But rather than treating this like a legal matter, Jesus treats it as it is, which is a spiritual matter and an issue of the heart. That's what he does, right? The real issue that's happening here has nothing to do with an amount of money. Had nothing to do with that. The real issue that's happening here was the greed that was at work in the heart of this brother. And that's what Jesus wants to address. There's something being revealed in this guy's heart. And it's not the greed of his brother. It's what's, it's what's being exposed in his own heart. I think when Jesus looks at this man who says, tell my brother to give me more. I think what Jesus looks at is a man who is being deceived. He's being lied to. And he is believing lies about that inheritance that are not true. He's believing it's going to do something for him. Can I tell you something? That is the great danger of money. That is the great danger of more, is that it tells us lies about things it can do for us that it cannot do. 
Are you with me? Money is deceitful. In Matthew 16, Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of riches. That it is misleading. It will misguide you. It will put you right back into bondage. Money will lie to you. More will lie to you. What are the lies that money tells? There were just several that just kind of were ringing in my heart. And I'm going to put some on the screen. And, and as I do, as you just work through these, I just want to ask you, does the Holy Spirit put his finger on any one of these with you? These are lies that money tells. What are some of those lies? Money will tell you if you lose me, you lose a large part of who you are. That's a lie money will tell. Money will say if you lose me, you lose the life you want. It's another lie. Money will tell you I'm actually the goal of life and I'm the key to your security. That is a lie. Money will tell you life will be fulfilling if you have more of me. Money will tell you you can never have enough of me. That's a lie. Money will tell you without me, life will be boring, it'll be empty, it'll be meaningless, and it'll be unhappy. And here's the last one. And boy, and this is the one I feel and you're going to feel. Money will tell you all you have of me is yours and you deserve it. As you read those, does the Holy Spirit touch on anything in your heart? You go, well, how do I know if he's touching on something? Do any of those frustrate you a little bit? Do any of those make you go, not me? There's several of them on there that the Holy Spirit's doing something right here. Especially that last one. That all that I have is mine and I deserve it. These are the lies that money will tell. And it is believing, it is in believing some of these lies is the reason why this brother is so angry. It's why he's so angry. It's why in front of hundreds and thousands of people, he just yells this issue out to Jesus. It's why there is this covetousness and there's this idolatry. It's being brought out in its heart. And it's because we believe the very same lies that we get so uncomfortable talking about money. And we get so angry when we lose a little bit of it or we think we've been shorted in any way because we believe some of this nonsense. And I'm not yelling at you. I'm shouting into my own soul right now. He's made an idol out of this inheritance. Right? That's what's happened. And he's coveting what his brother has. And Jesus is trying to show him this inheritance is going to kill you. Because the real issue is not whether you get your fair share, but rather if wanting it so much is going to destroy you. In New Beginnings, I want you to hear me this morning. The real issue for us with money is not whether we get our fair share or get what we think we're owed, but if our constant desire for more is going to destroy us. That's the real issue. Jesus knows this. He knows this. And I just want to remind you that as he begins to deal with this and as the Holy Spirit begins to deal with this in your life, He doesn't deal with it. Remember, the guy asked Jesus to be a judge. What was Jesus? A teacher. He wanted Jesus to swing a gavel. Jesus just invited him into a new vision of love and generosity. So even if you know this is an issue in your life, 
He isn't coming at you as a judge. He's coming at you as a teacher who wants to help and wants to show you a new way. Right? He knows this is an issue. He wants to deal with it. Notice what Jesus says next. In this issue with the brother and this parable about the farmer and the barns, he only gives one command. Here's the command he gives. It's this. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That's the only command he makes in this whole thing. Take care and be on your guard. Guard your heart against greed and covetousness. Notice he doesn't say to the brother, take care and guard your brother's heart. Because <laughs> that's what he was trying to do, right? That's what he wanted to do. He says, no, you got to guard yourself. you got to guard your own heart. That word guard is a military term here. It has military kind of implications, and it, it, it describes the way a soldier would keep a constant, vigilant watch on the enemy, always knowing where the enemy is and always keeping the enemy at bay. That kind of guarding is what Jesus says we have to do against greed and covetousness and the constant desire for more and wanting what someone else has. That the way a soldier guards and watches the enemy and has to make sure they don't get one inch closer than they should. What I find interesting is this guy asked Jesus a question, but Jesus didn't just answer him. It says the man asked the question, and then Jesus turned to them, and he said to them. Now, why didn't he just talk to the guy? Because this wasn't just an issue for that guy. Everybody within earshot, this was an issue for them. And this is an issue that we all deal with. Every, every single one of us, it doesn't faithfulness in our finances, obedience to God's word, living open-handed, trusting God, it's an issue for every one of us. It's an issue for every one of us. Right? None of us are left untouched, and I want you to hear me say this. Living um, free, living free of greed in any way, living free of coveting in, in any way, living free of the constant desire for more does not happen on accident. You will not just wander and stumble into financial obedience. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and go, oh, look, I'm tithing at the biblical standard and there's not a splinter of greed in my heart. How did I get here? That's not going to happen, team. Doesn't work like that. You have to set a guard. You have, to, you have to set a guard and ask the Holy Spirit to guard your heart. And I have to set a guard every day because if I don't, greed will creep in and it'll put a stranglehold on my life and I will begin to believe the value and quality and joy of my life depends on how much I have and how much I can get. So will you. It's an issue for all of us, right? There's that, just this tendency in the human heart. So how do we go to war with this? How do we live with an awareness and an alertness to this? How do we stand guard against greed and coveting? How do we find freedom in our finances? Is there anyone in this room that would love, love to feel free financially? You just love to feel free. Not because you had more but because you are actually free. Boy, I would. <laughs> that sounds great. How do we do it? Two things I want to show to you this morning. Here's the first thing. Your identity 
and your security are not found in what you have or what you can attain. You go, okay, that's easy enough. Is it? Is it? Your identity and your security are not, cannot, and will never be found in what you have or what you can attain. Those are two very important words right here, identity and security. Those are important words. We feel those words. I feel those words. Those two words are why the brother is so put out and so frustrated with his brother because the thing that is giving him identity and the thing that's making him feel secure is getting messed with. It's getting touched. He don't like it. Those are two incredibly important. What is your identity? What is that? Your identity is how you define yourself. It's how you answer the question, who am I? It's how you determine what does it mean to be me? And then your identity, how you answer that question is the basis of your life. How you answer that question is what gives your life meaning and purpose and direction. And the problem is when we make possession our identity, when we make what we have, what we can have, what we have in comparison to others, when we set money and possession as our identity, we become a slave to it. And it's not a thing we possess, it's a thing that possesses us. Whatever tells you who you are is what owns you. Y'all feel that? (laughs) I know I keep saying that, but it is so quiet in here. I knew, I prayed this morning. I knew y'all weren't going, I said, Lord, I know what that room's going to feel like. I already know. The thing, whoever it is, whatever it is that tells me who I am is what I have given ownership of my identity to. I've just handed over ownership. And when we set, when we trust our money and our job and our salary and our retirement and that bonus and our plans and our investments, when we trust those things to give us a sense of identity, we are a slave to them. We become sick with the disease of more. Here's why. Because when it is my identity, the more of it I have, the more valuable I feel. And the more worthwhile I feel. Think about how money makes us feel secure. Right? The reason we often make possessions our identity is because we're looking to possessions to give us security, to make us feel stable, to make us feel safe, to give us confidence. But I want to tell you, this perspective of identity and security coming from money and possessions is lethal to your life. It will kill your joy and it will obliterate your contentment. Why? Because it is fleeting. It is. You can't trust it. It's fleeting. Circumstances are fleeting. Your money is fleeting. You can't control any of this. All this stuff that will seem so secure can be gone. We don't even control the next 10 minutes of our life. You don't control what happens when you walk out that door on the way home. How in the world do you think you can have any say over money markets and values and the rise and fall of monetary issues? 
I can't control if I'm in a car wreck one hour from this moment. I control nothing. And yet, I've handed over identity and security to a thing that is completely untrustworthy. It's completely untrustworthy. I don't know if the Lord has taken anybody in this room through a season where he took everything away from you to show you you better only trust him. I don't know. I, that's not fun. And I don't, I don't look back on that and go, gosh, I'm, yay, let me do that again. Right? But I can tell you why the Lord did it with me. Because I was trusting in something else to tell me who I was and to make me feel secure. And what I was trusting in was completely untrustworthy. And when you put your identity and your security, when you're trusting those things, you're trusting money, possessions, your job, your bank account, when those are the things that are giving you a sense of security, do you know what comes with that? Anxiety, fear, anger, distrust, greediness, all of worry, it all comes. Frustration and fear are a pattern on repeat in the life of the person who looks to finances and not faith in God. It's just a pattern on repeat. Why? Because I'm stuck in the cycle of more. A little more, I feel a little better. And I'm addicted, and I'm addicted to trying to feel a little better, which means I constantly need a little more. So it gives us this twisted view of ourselves, a false sense of security. This is the issue that's happening with this brother. It's why he tells the parable of the farmer. Look at what Jesus says next in verse 16. It says, then he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build, build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So this guy has a prosperous crop, right? Things have, have gone well. They've gone better than expected. But notice, rather than considering giving away some of the abundance, he decides to build a bigger barn. Why? Because he, that bigger barn is making him feel a certain way. He decides to build a bigger barn because that bigger barn gives him a sense of identity. It's telling him who he is. Maybe he feels a little more respected because he drives a certain thing or lives in a certain house and it makes him feel a certain way. He feels safe. He feels secure. feels important. feels respected. I love in verse 17 and 19 the, the self-talk that we see from this guy. <laughs> verse 17, and he thought to himself. Then it says in verse 19, and I will say to myself, anyone else have an unhelpful dialogue perpetually going between your ears, right? That's this guy. He got a dialogue going, but it ain't helping. It's hurting, right? Because you hear all this self-talk. You hear this, 
this centeredness on self and this focus on self. And he doesn't consider for one moment what God would have him do with his abundance. There's no recognition that any of this abundance is from God and there's no openness toward generosity. His only concern is, what am I going to do with this for me? And it's easy for us to step back and look at the brother and look at the farmer and shake our head. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time you earnestly prayed and asked God, what do you want me to do with every dollar I have? When was the last time? I pray about a lot of stuff. That one sometimes feels a little risky. When was the last time in your prayer life you said, God, what, do you want, what would you have me do with what I have? When was the last time it actually gave you a deep sense of joy to acknowledge nothing you have actually belongs to you? And it made you happy to think that thought. When it doesn't make us happy to think that thought, it's an evidence of a work the Holy Spirit needs to do. And listen, you're not alone. I'm in this thing with you. I need the Holy Spirit to work on me, okay? You're not but when was the last time it made you happy, genuinely gave you joy to think, nothing I have belongs to me? <laughs> That's a hard thought. And we see where this self-focus ends up. Look at, look at verse 19. And he said, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Everything's great. Trust that big barn. He immediately begins to rest in a false sense of security. How do we know? Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, all these things you've worked for, that bigger barn that's overflowing, whose is that going to be now? Now, why was he a fool? It, it seemed like he worked hard. I think that larger crop, he probably worked really hard, right? He probably had a good plan. Crops don't just spring up out of the ground. Somebody worked the land, put in the seed, made sure it had water, followed up, cared for it, tended it, kept the weeds out, did the harvest. Somebody put work in. So he, he probably worked really hard. He probably planned well. He probably invested in that crop. So why was he a fool? Because he trusted in something untrustworthy. That's why he was a fool. He couldn't even control the, that that very day would be the last day. And in one night, all of his accomplishments, all of his work, all his plans, it's all gone. So that where this man saw gain, Jesus says, no, there's actually loss. Where he saw a life of ease and comfort, Jesus says, no, there's death here. What we look to for identity, what we look to for security, 
will be where we place our priority and our passion. Where you look for identity and security is going to be what gets the passion and the priority of your life so that it comes down to this. You will either worship what you have or you will worship with what you have. You will either worship your wealth or you will worship God with your wealth. You'll either bow down to money or you'll offer every dollar you have as an offering of worship to God. And it won't be one way or the, it won't be some little... Co- because here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6. He said this, No one can serve two masters. Can't do it. Either you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And just in case we forgot what he was talking about, he ends by saying, you cannot serve God and money. Why? Because the more that I lean my trust into money and possessions and and retirement and savings and job and, and account, the more I lean into that, the further I lean away from the promise that God is good, God is sufficient, and he's gonna provide. I can't lean simultaneously into both. It doesn't work like that. Jesus said you can't serve your money and serve God. You're going to end up either serving money and despising God when he's not giving you enough of it, or you're going to serve God and trust him with whatever he wants to do with what you have. Can't let this set our identity and our security. It's not found in what you have or what you can attain. Here's the next point. Only Jesus can set your identity. Only Jesus can give you true security. That's it. You go, well, that's not complicated. Try living it tomorrow. Only Jesus can set your identity and only Jesus can give you true security. He says in verse 21, this is what it's like for one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Those three words... Those last three words, rich toward God. I think I'm still trying to figure out what that means, but what I can tell you is I want to be that. I'm still discovering what it means to be rich toward God, but I want that. I want more of that. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means to treasure what he treasures. And it means to trust him with our treasure. It means to value what he values. It means to be rich in good deeds more than I am in good gifts that I'm accumulating to myself. It means to be generous. It means to use my wealth for his purposes. It means to to find my identity in him, to find my security in him. Because when I let Jesus tell me who I am and Jesus make my feet stable and be the secure foundation of my life, I can live generously. I I can open my hands. I can be obedient to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit prompts a generous moment in my heart. Anybody else in this room had a moment where the Holy Spirit told you to be generous and you disobeyed because you were scared to death to open your hand? Scared to death to open your hand and give, even though the Holy Spirit was prompting that in your heart? I have. Let's try this for just a moment. 
Everybody make sure you don't have anything in your hands for a second. Set your Bible down. I want you to make a fist with each hand, and I want you to squeeze as hard as you If you can do this, squeeze as hard as you can. As hard as you can. Come on, everybody play along. All right? Hard as you can. I want you to hold it. And when your hand wants to relax, squeeze harder. Just squeeze. Feel that tension in your fingers and squeeze harder. Hold it. Come on, hold it. I want you to do this with me. Right? Where are you starting to feel this? I feel it in my fingers. I can tell you that. My knuckles, I'm feeling it. Don't let go. Don't quit. Hard as you can. It's starting to creep up my forearms. Right? I'm in such good shape, eventually I'll feel this in my toes. You know what I mean? Don't quit. Keep squeezing. Keep squeezing. Don't let go. Hold that tension. Now all at once, I want you to open up and lay them on your lap. Open your hand. Lay your hands in your lap. You feel that? Which one of those postures created the greater strain in your body? It's a pretty simple way to realize the tighter I close my fist, the greater strain I feel in my life. But what happened when you opened your hand? I relaxed. I exhaled. Living with your hands closed, finding your identity and your security in your stuff, it creates a spiritual strain. It creates spiritual tension. It creates all of this emotional strain. But when we open our hands, when we trust Jesus with what we have, when we surrender every dollar and it becomes our joy to say it's not mine anyway, when you get to that moment, you get to relax and you can inhale or you can exhale because you're becoming rich toward God and it is your joy to say, God, this is yours. It's yours. You can have it. Because it's not telling me who I am anyway, so I don't have to grab it and hold it and, and, and caress it like it's something precious. You're precious. Take it. And I'm going to trust that as I surrender it to you, you're going to provide. You're going to care for me. Again, I asked the question at the beginning. Does anyone in the room want to feel free in your finances. I just want to feel free. It doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean you don't plan. It doesn't mean you don't save. It doesn't mean you don't have wisdom. It means I work and I plan and I save under the banner of Jesus is my identity and Jesus is my security. That's what it means. I think one of the greatest evidences of the transformative work of the gospel in our life is generosity. Why? Because there is there anything more generous than the gospel? Is there anything more generous than what Jesus did for us? Gave himself, sacrificed himself, held nothing back, withheld nothing emptied himself. That's the way the Bible describes it. He emptied himself. He didn't save a splinter back for himself, but sacrificed fully to save us, give us something we could never have on our own. The gospel is generous, and gospel people are generous. We're generous. When I was a kid, 
Some of you have probably heard me tell this story before. When I was a kid, we, would, we grew up hunting. We'd go hunting in the woods. Um, I remember, you know, when you're little, and your dad or granddad, whoever's taking you hunting, they, they sit beside you, right? But there's that threshold you get to cross. You know, you step across the threshold, you get to hunt by yourself. It's a big deal. Can you imagine the anxiety of the first time you leave your kid? <laughs> I, I, now that I have kids, I'm like, whew, that was risky. But there's that moment where I started to hunt by myself. And, and my dad would tell me all the things that I need to hear. to Remind me, be safe with the gun. Keep the safety on. Here's where I want it. It stays right here, and you don't touch it until you see a deer. And then when you do, just he would give me all those reminders and then he would, he would go down the stand, and he would leave, and I'm sitting here, you know, in the dark, waiting for the sun to come up, and I'm all, and I'm all by myself, and I'm hoping maybe something will come, right? I'm a little nervous, and I'm hoping something will come, but there was something going on that I knew nothing about, and I didn't discover until I was an adult, and that is that when my dad would leave that deer stand, he would go hundreds of yards away from me and start walking in circles. I didn't even know he was out there hundreds of yards away and he'd start walking in circles and he would walk in circles that were perpetually getting closer to me and the reason he would do that was two things one even though I couldn't see him he wanted to see me and make sure I was okay and two he was trying to scare something up toward me to bless me and give me an opportunity I just I want you to hear me say this this morning God is walking circles around your life. You may not see everything he's doing. And it may actually be hard to trust that he's out there. But he's walking circles around your life. And he's providing for you. And he wants to bless you. And he's got his eye on you. And all he wants to do is watch you be obedient and trust him. Because if you'll be obedient and trust him, he's going to scare up blessing and provision for you that you cannot provide for yourself. He's walking circles around your life. So you can trust him with what he says to trust him with. So what are the first steps of obedience here? What's the first step of being obedient when it comes to generosity? The first step is to tithe. Now, if you'll notice, I hadn't said that word until right now. Because most of you thought when I said money, I was going to yell about tithing the whole time. But God's word is clear. It is crystal clear. There's no mistake in it. Bring your tithe into the storehouse, giving a tenth of all that you have. That's the floor of kingdom generosity. That's the bottom level. And you go, that's huge, man. That's what? There's no way that's where it's going to start. That's, the, that's where it begins. That's God's standard. Now, I want you to know that Carrie and I spent several years early in our marriage not being obedient. And when somebody would tell us we needed to give a tenth, they might as well have said we needed to give everything because it felt completely impossible. It did. But what we discovered was what God desired most was belief and obedience. So here's my challenge to you right now. 
If going from zero to 10% feels impossible, it may be in a month. That may be a hard transition to make in a few weeks. But zero to 2% is not. And then zero to 4%. And then zero to eight. And zero to 10. You do not accidentally wake up in the middle of seeing that you are free financially and walking. It's not, you're going to have to plan for this. Husbands and wives, you're going to have to sit down and open your budget and be honest. Are you with me? Okay. If you need help finding freedom in this area, you are not alone. You are loved and you are not alone. And we would love to be a help to you because everyone here has needed help from somebody else, including this guy. So if you need help with this, you're not alone. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray over us. But if you're with your spouse right now, I just want you to touch them, hold their hand back for a second. If you're not, I want you to hold firmly in your fast, in your mind, a picture of your family. If you're single, I want you to hold firmly in your mind a picture of the future that you want God to bring. I want you to hold these things in your mind. And we're going to pray. And as I pray right now over yourself, over your heart, over your family, over your children, we, we're, going to, we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will stir in us a new desire for obedience in this area. All right? So, Father, we are, we are a people who desperately need help. We need help, Lord. And Father, I am praying over my heart. I pray for Carrie and I, over our children. I pray for my family. I pray for every family in this church, Lord. That when the enemy would lie about what money can do and what we should trust it for, Father, your Holy Spirit would shout the truth and the joy of obedience to you into our life, and we would live surrendered. I pray over these families, God, that you would stir up in them a fresh desire to obey you. God, where there is nothing being given to the kingdom, would you help them take those first steps of obedience? God, where there needs to be an increase to come into full obedience, God, help us. Give us discipline to do that. Help us trust you more. Help us say no to things that don't matter so we can say yes to the thing that matters most. Help us, God. We love you. We're your people. We're sheep. We need a shepherd. Shepherd our hearts in this area. In Jesus' name.